0: Amen. All right. You may be seated. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew, the 24th chapter, Matthew, the 24th chapter and the first verse, Matthew 24, verse one, Matthew 24, verse one, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice, not the end of the world, but the end of the age talking to you today, titling this message, Signs of the Times. Signs of the Times. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but it's hard to not listen to any kind of news program the last several days and not hear about the uprising that's going on in Egypt. How many heard of that? And it's, it's a very serious issue very serious to the the stability of that region in the Middle East. It's uh, critical uh, to the peace of Israel. And the peace treaty that was signed back in the 70s between Egypt and Israel could be hanging in the balance. And so with all those things going on, it just seemed good to the Spirit of God this morning to spend some time talking to you about the signs of the times, the signs of the times. Now, notice here in verse 3, the disciples came to Jesus privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? Now, in that question there, they were asking about the temple because he had made a statement about the stones being uh, taken apart and the temple being dismantled. And of course, if you study history, you'll see that in A.D. 70, that prophecy that Jesus gave, approximately 70 years after he he prophesied that, uh, it came to pass. And so we'll not spend time with that this morning because that has to do with days gone by. But what I want to look at here this morning is when they said in verse 3, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, the sign of your coming. You need to realize that Jesus came the first time born of a virgin as a babe in Bethlehem. Is that right? Now that's not where Jesus began to exist. He's the second member of the Trinity. He's Almighty God. You understand that? In Bethlehem there, He took on flesh. The the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But that was His first coming, you know. And... We need to realize that there's going to be a second coming. And they said, what will be the sign of your coming? The the, the second coming of Jesus lay on out in front of us. But what you need to realize, and, and many people don't understand this as they should, is there's a difference between the second coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church. Okay, the Bible talks about a rapture of the church, the word rapture taken from the Greek word rapio, which means to be caught up. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, but the event is. And and, and what the word rapio means uh, is to be caught up. And you see the church from the teaching of the word of God is going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And a lot of times people refer to that as the second coming of Christ and in you know, you—you—I you, mean, you could say it that way, but—but technically, uh, the second coming of Jesus is when He comes and sets His feet down on the Mount of Olives. You see, that is technically the second coming, but the rapture happens uh, 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 probably just a, a little more than seven years prior to Jesus' second coming where he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives, about seven years prior to that, there's an event in Scripture known as the rapture of the church where the church is caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so you need to realize that in the rapture, the Lord does not set his feet down upon the earth. We're caught up. You see, he descends from heaven with a shout and we're caught up to meet him in the air. Uh, and, then, and then there's a seven-year tribulation period and then at the end of that time is when Jesus comes in the second coming, sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. And so that lays on out in front of us. So he says here in verse 3, or, or they ask him, what will be the sign of your coming? And I've explained to you the difference between the second coming now and the rapture. Okay? And of the end of the age. Now, you need to realize that this world is never going to be uh, destroyed and cease to exist. You need to understand that. Do you understand that? The Bible teaches that this earth uh, will be renovated by fire at some point in the future. And the, the throne of God, did you know God's coming to live here on the earth eventually? For eternity. Did you know that? You realize that. Okay, so that lays on out in front of us. So, so he's talking here about the sign of his coming and of the end of the age. You need to hear a message along these lines every once in a while to keep us stirred up because Jesus is coming again. And we need to keep ourselves stirred up. Say, I'm going to keep myself stirred up. Yeah, because, you know, we need to be watching for him. Now, notice here, let's look at what some of these signs are. Verse 4, Matthew 24, verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. We've seen that, certainly. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. We observe that. See that you are not troubled. Now, we ought to grab a hold of that right there, shouldn't we? See that we're not what? Troubled. Troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences. And this next one has my full attention. And what? Earthquakes in various places. Have you noticed that? I mean, I could stand here and talk for an hour just on that. Earthquakes in various places. That should have our attention right there. It's hard to listen any more at the news for a week's time and not hear of some earthquake somewhere. You need to realize the frequency of earthquakes has increased dramatically in the last several years earthquakes in various places. And then verse 8, all these are what? The what? beginnings of sorrows. You say, oh my, beginnings of sorrows. Don't forget what verse 6 said. See that you are not what? Troubled. And then verse 11, for the sake of time, I'm just going to hit the highlights here. Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. We've seen that. And because lawlessness will abound... The love of many will grow what? Have you noticed that? The love of many will grow cold. I notice here in this nation, just from the time I was a little boy living in this area to the present hour, it seems like overall, I've observed this, the love of many has grown cold. And then in verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world is a witness to all nations. Well, the gospel has been preached and is being preached to the world at, 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 at a rate that we've not seen up to this time. The gospel is going to the nations like it hasn't gone up to this time. It's moving out, you see. You see the end time signs right before us. Because of the technology of television and whatnot, we see the gospel going to... The nations, literally all the nations of the earth. And when you see these things happen, he says, and then the what? The end will come. He's not talking about the end of the world. For if you study the Bible in its entirety, the world itself never ends. It gets renovated by fire at the end. Uh, but, it, but the world is never going to be blown to smithereens. You need to understand that. But he says, and then the end will come. Then notice verse 32. And then he says, learn this parable f- from the fig tree. Now, all Bible theologians agree that the fig tree in Scripture is a type of Israel. And Jesus then talks about the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. S- so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is at or know that it is near, even at the doors. Now you need to realize that, and many many Bible scholars agree on this. They they believe that what Jesus is talking about here is when Israel again became a nation. Now, how many of you know that happened in 1948? Didn't it? Israel, uh, again, became a nation. And you know, we need to stand with Israel. Do you understand that? We need to stand with Israel. Come on now. They're God's chosen people. You need to understand that. And we're spiritual Israel when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus. The Bible, read the book of Romans. He's not a Jew who is one Naturally, but he is one a Jew that is one spiritually, where the circumcision has been of the heart. You've read the book of Romans, haven't you? You understand that? You realize Christians are spiritual Jews. You understand that? Do you understand that? So we need to stand with Israel, because if we'll stand with Israel, God told Abraham, "Whoever blesses you, I'll bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse." Do you understand? Jesus came out of the seed of Abraham, did he not? Huh? Yes, he did. So we need to stand with Israel, and there's much I could say about that. But many Bible scholars believe here that what Jesus was talking about here is Israel again becoming a nation, which happened in 1948. And notice in verse 33, When you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. And I personally believe that we're part of that generation that is seeing all these signs take place that we've talked about. Not just, you know, one sign here or one sign there, or you've got a war going over here or a pestilence going on over here. But I tell you what, as I look at, at, at the Bible and then I look at the world, I see all of these signs going on simultaneously, which leads me to believe that we're the generation where Jesus is getting ready to come back in. Now, in verse 36, notice what he says. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Now, now we need to understand something. We can know the season that Jesus is coming back in, but we cannot know the day or the hour. You get yourself in trouble when you start trying to predict the exact day and the exact hour. You get yourself in trouble. So we'll not make that mistake. Can you say amen? So I don't know the exact day or the exact hour, but I, I, I do understand the signs of the times. We can see, look in the Word of God and then look at what's going on around us, and we can see that the signs of the times are pointing to the, to the fact that Jesus is getting ready to come back. Now, he says here, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So you need to realize that. So we can't know the exact day or the hour of of, of the rapture of the church, but we can know the season. Uh, You know, after the rapture of the church, there's going to be a peace treaty signed between the Antichrist and Israel. Did you know that? And did you know it's going to bring some peace to the Middle East, but it's going to be for a short season? Did you know that? And and then after the, the rapture of the church, that peace treaty is signed. Once that peace treaty is signed... Uh, that's going to mark the beginning of what's known as the seven-year tribulation period. And it's interesting, as you study the Bible, from the time that peace treaty is signed, you can clock off seven years and actually get it to the day when Jesus comes back. And I believe in the book of Zechariah, it gives us the weather forecast for the day when Jesus is coming back. How many of you know God knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end? Can you say amen? Amen. What of the exact days and hours, well, let's don't get caught up trying to figure that out. Let's just know that we're living in the season. Notice verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. You also need to realize that if you study the days of Noah back in the book of Genesis, that their thoughts were only evil continually. How many of you remember that? Much wickedness, sexual wickedness and sin going on, uh, among other things. And as I look around, we see that going on even in this nation. Notice... Verse 39, it did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Now watch this, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women grinding at the mill, one taken and the other left. Now, Bible scholars uh, will tell you several different things about what these two verses mean. But one thing that I believe that it it could have to do with, and and, and I'm fine with this, is when the rapture takes place, and I'll say a little more about that in a moment. What did I already say about it? The church is going to be what? Caught up. Is that right? And the church is composed of people who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus. Is that right? And so if you're standing right side of somebody that's not saved and the rapture takes place, guess what? If you're saved, you're going to go up, but they're going to be left, aren't they? Aren't they? Yes. And so much we could say about, about these two verses, about verse 40 and 41, but I don't have a problem saying talking about these in context of the rapture of the church because there's no question that's what's going to happen. When the Lord descends from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and all of that and the dead in Christ rise, well, those who aren't in Christ are going to be left behind. And so two people could be grinding at the mill, one's taken and the other's left, you see. But what I want to get at is look at verse 42 where he says, Jesus says, Watch therefore. Let's, let's, say, let's say, watch therefore. Say it again. Watch, therefore. therefore. You know, that's what we need to be doing is not let our heart not be troubled. He told us that. Is that right? And then he told us another thing right here. He said that we're supposed to do what? We're supposed to watch. We need to be watching for Jesus to come back. I think if we as a church ever stop watching for Jesus to come back, we're going to become lukewarm and lackadaisical. Let's keep our watcher going. What do you say? He said, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So we've noticed many different signs here. But notice also the sign of Daniel. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12 verse 4. Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, the sign of Daniel. Now, now we could look at the entirety of the book of Daniel. I've taught on it several times over the years where we we've, we've gone through the whole book, you know, on a Wednesday night and very interesting and much could be said, but of all the entirety of the book of Daniel, just in this brief time I have with you here here this morning, I just want to look at one verse that has to do with the signs of the times. Notice Daniel 12 verse 4. But you, Daniel, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until when? The time of the end. So he's talking about the time of the end. Now, what are we going to see here at the time of the end? Watch this. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall what? Increase. So what do we see here? Many running to and fro. What what most Bible scholars agree on there is what he's talking about is a speedy, worldwide travel. Now, you need to think about this. Just back 100 years ago or so, and, and really from the beginning of... Uh, uh, and from the Garden of Eden on down until about 100 or so years ago, give or take, the, the travel was slow, wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it slow? I mean, horses and buggies and... And boats that didn't go very fast, and what is that correct? And just think in the last hundred years, give or take, I mean, now you can get on a jet and fly across the country in what, about three and a half, four hours, four, four plus hours. Is that correct? Now, now that's that's speedy travel, isn't it? And then he also says, and knowledge shall increase. Now, how many of you have observed knowledge increasing? Has anybody observed knowledge increasing besides me? I mean, it wasn't but just, just, you know, not that long ago it was smoke signals. Is that right? Now, is that right? And then all of a sudden now you can pull out, you can pull out a cell phone and, and, and you can do just about everything but build a house with that thing. Is that right? Huh? And you probably go on there and get directions on how to build a house. Is that correct? Now, don't tell me that knowledge has not vastly increased. What what does this lead us to believe, dear friends, that we're living in the end days? And we need to keep ourselves stirred up about that. Now, also, too, look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 gives us a sign of the condition of the world. Gives us a sign of the condition of the world. We can look at the world and there's a sign just in the world, you see. Look at this. Second Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this. In the when. In the when? Last days, perilous times will come. Are these times perilous? Yes. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people do what? Turn away. Do you see that in the world? There's a sign in the world right there. You see that. You see that running rampant. Now then also you can look in the church and actually, there's two things you can see going on in the church world. Notice 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. 1. Timothy 4, verse 1. Notice this. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says, talking about the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in when? In when? In latter times, some will depart from the faith. faith. Wow giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You see that going on in the day in which we live. One thing that stands out to me is just some some 20-some-odd years ago, plus or minus, on a Sunday morning... Everything, all the businesses, everything was dead. They shut down in honor of the Lord. How many remembers that? You saw a car out on Sunday morning, they was driving to church. You don't see that anymore. Businesses are open, it's business as usual. The devil for years has been trying in this nation to make Sunday uh, 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 just like Saturday. and And he's accomplished it. While the church is sat by arguing over things that don't amount to a hill of beans. We need to stand up in our authority, don't we? I don't know about you, but Sunday is not just like any other day to me. Sunday is holy unto the Lord. It's the first day of the week. It's when we come together to worship God. I'm going to keep doing that. How about you? And then in Revelation 3, verse 16, turn there if you would. Revelation 3, verse 16. There's seven churches given in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Seven churches given. And if you hold it to to what is known as the dispensationalist view uh, of these churches, uh, some Bible scholars argue and and many agree that there's a truth in that as you look at the seven churches in succession, as you get to the last one that is mentioned there, that that last church that is mentioned there is, is what you will see upon the church uh, you'll, see upon, you'll see in the church right prior to the Lord's coming in the rapture. Now, now, notice right here, if we look at this seventh church that is mentioned, and again, if you hold to the dispensationalist view that says that these churches are given in, in, in order and that when we get to that seventh church, that's what you see in the church right before the rapture. If you hold to that, notice this, verse 16. So then because you are what? You are what? What? Come on, help me, guys, because you're what? Lukewarm Lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's pretty strong talk from Jesus, isn't it? Because you are what? Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. You won't take a stand on anything. You know, the church, we ought to take a stand on the word of God. You know, if someone were to ask me on national television, how do you get to, to heaven? I believe that I would respond. I know I would respond. I would give what the word says. I would say that you must repent of your sins and you must place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Game, set, and match. I said game, set, and match. And then when the interviewer said, are you saying that Jesus is the only way? I'm going to say Jesus is the only way to the Father. Amen. I'm not going to say that He's the best way, because if he's, if, if he's the best way, that implies there could be some other ways. I'm not going to say He's a way, because if you say He's a way, that implies that there's others. I'm one preacher that's going to say He's the only way. Game, set, and match. But you see that, we see this upon the earth, right? We see this in the church. We see that, 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 that I'm not trying to be critical, but I need to tell you this stuff. You, you see pulpits that won't, you know, preachers that won't take a stand on anything. They're just telling people, so many of them, what they want to hear. You know, you, know that you see these signs right in front of you. Let's just tell the people what they want to hear so they'll come back next week. We can't, as ministers, do that to you people we got to tell you the truth. I mean, hot's got to be hot. Cold's got to be cold. And we need to stay hot, not lukewarm or cold. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's not just a way or the best way. He's the only way. Beware of a preacher that tells you anything other than that. Can you say amen? Amen. But see, we're living in that hour right now. We're living in that time. Where the church, it it seems, they won't take a stand on anything. We're not supposed to put people down and be condemnatory, but we're supposed to take a stand in love and tell people the truth. You understand that? And so you see that in the church one of the signs of the times is that there's a cooling off there's a there's there's a there's a, a there there's a a lukewarmness not wanting to take a a, a stand on anything uh, 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 uh there's a, uh, we'll go to church if it's convenient how many of you know that it was not convenient for Jesus to hang on the cross for you but he did so anyway is that right so, so it may not be convenient to honor the house of God, but but let's do it anyway. What do you say? Is that right? Because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. And then verse seventeen: because you say, "I am rich, I've I become wealthy, and have need of nothing," do you not know that you're you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Didn't Jesus say that? And 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 and. We see that going on in the church is what is known as the prosperity gospel. How many of you know I believe in prosperity? But I don't believe we ought to teach on it, preach on it all the time. There's other issues that are weightier than that. Did you understand that? And and when we get to the point where we say we're talking about money all the time, money all the time, money all the time, and and, and if you'll give in this offering, then you'll get so much back. Uh, My God, that, that, that has been a disgrace upon the body of Christ. Can anybody say amen? I believe in tithes. I believe in offerings. I believe in, in giving. I believe in all that. I believe in God prospering. But, but, but this stuff that you've seen that's come out of these prosperity camps, it's unbelievable what they'll tell people to get them to give money. My God, can't you see what we're living in the time of the end? Did you hear me? I said, we're living in the time of the end. And then, There's something else that you see going on in the church. And I want you to look at Acts 2, verse 17. Acts 2, verse 17. Notice this. And it'll come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy... Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants, maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Amen. So what, what do you see going on as a sign of the times in the church? You see two things going on. You see you see so much of the church becoming lukewarm and lackadaisical and not taking a stand on anything and then you see what I believe is the remnant church, a small group of, uh, uh, of churches that are going to stand strong and allow the Holy Ghost to be the Holy Ghost, allow the Holy Spirit to move in the services, allow the Holy Spirit to move into worship, allow the Holy Spirit to move in the teaching of the Word of God, allow the Holy Spirit to run the church, not run the church on a man's agenda, but run the church on the agenda of God and teach and preach the word of God. Can you say amen? amen? And that's the kind of church I want this one to be. The book of Ephesians says that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. And that's the kind of church I want to be. How about you? A glorious church, a church that's on fire, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I see these signs. They're all around us. They cannot be denied. Only a fool could deny them. We're living in the last days. He said, let not your heart be troubled. He also said, watch, didn't he? And so we're right up on on it. What's the next thing that's going to happen? It's the rapture of the church. Have I mentioned that to you yet today? Notice, if you would, First Thessalonians 4, verse 16. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16. I hope you're glad that I have you turned in the Bible. If we ever stop turning in the Bible, then you need to get concerned. 1st Thessalonians 4:16 notice this 1st Thessalonians 4:16 what happens at the rapture of the church the lord himself will descend from heaven with a what with a shout with the voice of the archa- of, of an archangel with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first praise god then we who are alive and remain Now, did it say that the dead in Christ would rise first? So then we who are alive and remain, would you agree with me, in Christ? Because people want to argue who's going in the rapture, who's going in the rapture, who's going in the rapture. I'll tell you who's going in the rapture, everybody who's in Christ. Did you understand that? The dead in Christ rise first, then we who are alive and remain in Christ, the implication is clear, will be caught what? Caught what? Caught... Caught what? What? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Amen. How many of you are looking forward to the rapture of the church? I'm really looking forward to that. And the Lord has commanded us to watch, 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 watch and be ready because the Lord's coming and the rapture of the church is going to take place. Then what happens after the rapture? What happens after the rapture? As you study the Bible, you've got a heavenly scene and you've got an earthly scene. Let's consider the heavenly scene for just a few moments here. Let's consider the heavenly scene. Notice 2 Corinthians 5.10. Go there if you would. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Let's go there. Once the rapture takes place and you move... In the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3 have to do with the church age. And then chapter 4, verse 1, John is caught up to the throne of God. That's indicative or or, or symbolic of the rapture of the church. And then you see a split scene. You see a heavenly scene and you see an earthly scene as you read on in the book of Revelation. But I want to just look here at 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we, talking about Christians, must all appear before where? The judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether what? Good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What is this judgment seat of Christ? It's the judgment of believers' works. You see, you've already when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, uh, the that, that heaven-hell issue is settled for you. You're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. You understand? But there's still a judgment that you're going to have to endure. You'll have to endure it, I'll have to endure it. It's known as the judgment seat of Christ, where we as Christians stand before the Lord, and He judges us for the things we've done in our body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. If you read in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, if you took the time, you could see that that, that many will stand before the throne of God and and they've been faithful in their walk as a Christian, they've served God faithfully, they've been faithful to the Lord Jesus, and the Bible says they'll receive a reward. Other Christians, however, who have lived a a, a life that, 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 that has not been pleasing to the Lord, the Bible says that their works will be burned, they will suffer loss, but they themselves will be saved. That sure beats going to hell, doesn't it? But I just want a Christian, listen, Christian gossip. I want to tell you something. Christian backbiter. Christian that that spreads rumors. I want to warn you. I want to tell you by the Spirit of God. Repent of that. Stop doing that. Because you're going to have to answer to God for it. At the judgment seat of Christ. When He's going to ask you, Why did you do that? And the fire of God is going to hit you. And it's going to burn those things away. And you'll not be given a reward. You'll suffer loss. But the Bible says you'll still get to go into heaven. Why do you get to go into heaven? Because of the blood of Jesus and heaven is a free gift glory to God but the rewards must be earned did you hear me? and they can be earned the Bible says and they can be lost I don't want to lose rewards I want to gain rewards I want to have crowns that I can take and lay before the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and worship Him how about you? what's going on then? As that goes on in heaven, and there's a judgment seat of Christ. And then also in heaven, the Bible talks about there being the marriage supper of the Lamb, where there'll be a great party in heaven. You haven't been to a party until you've been to a party that God has thrown. Glory to God. Did you hear me? And so that goes on for seven years in heaven. What about the earth? Once the church is caught out, I wouldn't want to be here one, five minutes after the church is raptured out. The Bible says we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And I'm telling you, we're the only thing that is restraining the Antichrist from being released. Once the church is taken out, the Bible is clear, the Antichrist will be released. I don't want to be here one, five minutes after the church is taken out. How about you? The Bible says that the Antichrist will rise to power. He'll come to power as a peacemaker and he'll be a man of of slick words and he'll finally bring peace, peace, though short-lived, to the Middle East. And they'll sign a treaty and there'll be peace for three and a half years. And then after that three... Because, see, there's a seven-year... Say, seven-year tribulation... So there'll be a seven-year tribulation period during the first three and a half years of that tribulation period that there'll be some, some peace and whatnot. But at the middle of that seven and a half year period, then the Bible is clear that that, that Antichrist becomes what in the Scripture what is known as the beast, you see. And, 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 and he'll, he'll turn on Israel and do all kinds of horrible things and all kinds of horrible things will be going on here upon the earth. And we also see that upon the earth during the time of... of the the tribulation period that God will be pouring out his judgment and his wrath upon this earth as we've not seen it before how many of you know God is a good God how many of you know that he's a good and a wonderful God but the Bible says consider the goodness and the severity of God and God offers his goodness and his goodness and his goodness and his goodness but you can slap that goodness away one time too many and when you slap the goodness of God away one time too many all that is left is the severity of God you see and God is merciful and he's long suffering but there comes a time where where he will judge and and during that seven year tribulation period you will see the judgment of God upon this earth like you've you've never seen unbelievable I don't want to be here during that time how about you now, there is some good news that during that, that, that tribulation period, you know God always keeps a voice in the earth. In the Old Testament, it was the prophet. Right now, it's the church. Once the church is taken out, the Bible talks about 144,000 Jewish evangelists that's going to go out and evangelize the earth, continue to preach the gospel, and many's going to get saved during that time. I'm convinced of it. All the people who had a mental experience with Jesus but never had a heart birth, once they see that, that the rapture is taken, place. I believe they're going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to start coming to church on Sunday. Can you say amen? And and, and the Bible, I believe, is clear on this. Some would dispute it, but long about mid-tribulation, there's going to be a second busload going out because during that last half of the tribulation, things are going to get really bad upon this earth. And so God in His goodness allows people to get saved even after the rapture of the church. And and then there's another catching up about mid-trib. That's what I call the second bus. If you miss the first, Get on the second, but I don't want to miss the first. How about you? And then during that last half of that tribulation period is when things really get bad. And the Antichrist has a religious leader that serves with him known as the false prophet. And he's going to put out a mark known as the mark of the beast, 666, that a person will have to receive on their right hand or their forehead. And unless you receive that mark, you won't be able to buy, you won't be able to sell. One Christian one time came to me and they said, you know, I'm concerned that when I walk out of Six Flags and I'm going out to get something to eat and they want to put a mark on my hand, could that be the mark of the beast? No. No. Because the church is still here. Are you alright? You okay? So, but during the last half of that tribulation period, my God, friend, it's going to be bad on this earth. It's going to be horrible on this earth. And the and you know what has always astounded me that is, that, is that even through all of that horrible time, God is still going to give people, to rep- uh, people a chance to repent. And the Bible says that, that there will be so many of them that won't. Unbelievable. But God has a voice in the earth. It was a prophet in the Old Testament. Now it's a church. Then it's 144,000 Jewish evangelists. During the last half of the tribulation period, God is going to have two witnesses, the Bible says. I believe they're Enoch and Elijah. I'm not going to argue with you over that. I had a man that stood almost about six and a half feet, looked like Paul Bunyan, came up to me one time after I taught on this, and, and, and he came up and he said, Pastor Terry... And I'm looking up at him and he says, I think I'm one of the two witnesses. And I said, well, if that's what you want to think, that's all right with me. Oh, you wouldn't laugh at anything, would you? I can assure you he's not one of the two witnesses. But I wasn't going to tell him that because I didn't want to get beat up, you know. But the point I'm trying to make is is that during the last half of the tribulation period there's going to be two witnesses. There's going to be witnessing and telling people about Jesus and so on and so forth. And things are going to get really, really bad during the last part of that that tribulation period. And I don't have time to go into all of it this morning. Uh, it, It would take too long. But the point is is that at the end of that tribulation period all of the armies of the earth are going to be gathered together into the Middle East to fight the battle of... Does anybody know? The battle of Armageddon. And at that battle is when the sky is going to part and there's going to come somebody riding on a white horse. And his name is called Faithful and True. His name is called the Word of God. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the fairest among ten thousand, the bright and the morning star, glory to God. Riding on the white horse, glory to God. And the Bible says, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. We're going to be coming with him, glory to God. Can you say Amen. And he comes to execute judgment upon the earth. And he'll, the Bible says that the beast and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. And then the, uh, uh, the that's the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. The Bible also teaches that, that the devil will be locked in the bottomless pit for a thousand years and the Lord will shut him up for a thousand years. How many of you are glad of that? Amen. And then the Lord is going to conduct his thousand year reign upon the earth which is known as the millennial reign of Christ. And you and I will get to serve with him as he reigns with his headquarters in Jerusalem and he'll rule with a rod of iron for a thousand years. There's so much we could say about that. I just don't have time this morning. I'm just giving you a little excerpt of what lay ahead for us. But I tell you what, your assignment during that millennial reign depends on your faithfulness now in this time. So you need to be real faithful to God right now because He'll reward you then based on your service to Him now. If you're a Luke lackadaisical Christian that just can't wait for me to get done with this message that's preached under the power of God, you need to repent because, you see, you want a good assignment in that hour. Amen? Amen? Amen. How many of you know you can draw the anointing out of me and we can get all that God wants for this service, you see? Amen. Did you hear me? Amen? And so the Lord comes back. He defeats the Antichrist. As I said, he reigns for a thousand years. And the Bible says at the end of that thousand years, Satan is released from the bottomless pit for a season, the Bible says. And he goes out to the four corners of the earth to deceive. And you know what? The Bible says he will deceive so many people. It would be like the sand of the sea. Why are so many people deceived at the end of the millennial reign by the devil? I'll tell you why. Because God never makes anybody worship him. God never makes anybody come to the house of God and worship Him. God will never make you worship Him. During that thousand-year reign, He will make people all over this earth follow the civil law. They'll have to follow the civil law because He'll rule with a rod of iron. But He never makes anyone come up to Jerusalem to worship Him. And when you don't come up to Jerusalem to worship Him, you set yourself up to be deceived by the devil. When you don't come to the house of God to hear the word of God on a regular basis, you set yourself up to be deceived by the devil. Did you understand what I just said? I said you set yourself up to be deceived by the devil. And so so many won't go up to worship God. And so when the devil's released, he'll deceive so many. But the Bible says that they'll, they'll come against God again at that time and the fire of God will come down and consume them. Are you still with me? And then at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, we see what is known as the great white throne judgment. When all people who have rejected Jesus Christ from the time of the beginning of man, of Adam and Eve, all the way down to that time, everyone who has rejected Jesus. How many of you know Jesus is the only way to be saved? The only way to the Father is by the Lord Jesus. And there's a great white throne judgment at that point. And all who have rejected Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and all who stand on their own works for salvation, they'll be looked at by God, the books will be opened, they'll be found wanting, and the Bible says they'll be cast for time and eternity into the lake of fire. My God. My God. For time and eternity. I don't know about you, but I want to stand not on my own works, but on Jesus. And then the Bible says that God will renovate this, the, 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 the atmosphere and the earth by fire. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That doesn't mean brand new having never existed. It means like renovating a house. The house was already there, but you renovate it. Now it's, it's like new. This would be like new. Why does he, somebody asked me one time, why does he have to burn this place? Because the sin, all the sin has got to be burned out. And then the Bible says that the throne of God will descend from heaven... And the holy city will come down. And God comes to earth to live with us. He must think pretty highly of us. And in that hour every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more death, nor dying, nor sorrow. Can anybody say amen? Stand with me if you would in the presence of God. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I, I trust that this message in some way, shape, form or fashion touched your heart not me but the word of God spoken under the anointing